Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's been a weird week. I... <laughs> uh, James, I tried to... Andrea knows this. I was like, well... I'm leaving for a lake uh, again here in California. I found an Airbnb and I was like, I'll, I'll you know, I assumed I was going to be joining you guys live from the lake again today. And right. uh, whoo, I, I don't understand a lot about California when you drive to the middle of it near Bakersfield. It's <laughs> it's literally just scorched earth and dust. <laughs> And I think I also think Lake Isabella might have been a man-made lake. I think it's a reservoir. Yeah. I I just saw the word lake, you know, and I'm I'm just trying to do what I like because I had my therapist help me set goals for my return to quarantine this time, you know, because I'm like, I want to do it better and not slip into the sadness like, you know, the last (laughs) couple months. And so I was like, I'm going to take a trip. I'm trying to social distant hang with more people. And so I was like, here I go. And oh, my God, there was a dust storm when I was trying to find the lake. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a dune situation all of a sudden. I felt so scared and the Airbnb was sort of like in a methy neighborhood. It's it's like it's like John Steinbeck's The Grapes of Glamping. <laughs> Welcome to Sidework Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Wallace. I'm your host, Brooke Van Poplin. And you guys sitting in, sitting in. You would just want to introduce yourself. I was yeah, going right? to say, and sitting in again, it's James Dunn. But by now, you know me well enough to call me the Jimmer. Thank you uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule, your packed life, to be with us again this week, James. Yep, I just, I'm I'm stepping away for the next hour from screaming in my pillow. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That pillow really does need some, a break. Even even screaming pillows need their own time in this world. That's true. It's, It's really considerate that you're giving your pillow some me time you know mm-hmm. <laughs> i should let i should let my pillow scream at me yes mm-hmm. oh wouldn't that be like a great i'm you know i guarantee when we get off this call that we're gonna all have ad pop-ups for screaming pillows <laughs> i don't know this one's a screaming pillow because i keep getting like horrible neck cricks and so i, I wake up wake up screaming the shrieking pillow. pillow um i saw Wait, a pop on, up ad. On, guys pause for i gotta get centered before we record <laughs> okay oh my god 
Let's, well, let's, uh, let's yeah. get going. Let's get some headlines going. Let's do it. Get in <laughs> there, right. Andrea. All right. First headline. This is coming to us from Eater, Detroit. Um, and this goes really well with our ongoing theme of cocktail culture. So there's a great little underground cocktail bar in Detroit. It is called... Castalia. So it's a tiny little underground bar. And basically it is saying, and it's not just in Detroit. I'm seeing it with a long room in Chicago too. I don't know if you guys have seen what they've been posting and how they're trying to up their game with to-go cocktails, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have all these fancy cocktail bars that are still trying to keep afloat. And they're, they're able to do to-go cocktails, as many states are now, but they have to up their game. And at the same time, they have to figure out how they can give you the best packaging and product so you have the best cocktail experience at home. So this means, as what this article is saying, is like you can't really do a lot of citrus, anything fresh, because it'll go bad in your fridge. So they have to do like diluted, kind of like bitters-based cocktails. So then when you pour it over ice at home, you're getting like a beautiful cocktail experience, which is like, I, I, I mean... You, the way that everybody's adapting to all this is bonkers, but I, I, I love that people are doing it. Well, it, it makes it makes us think of prohibition where it's just like mm-hmm. the like COVID-19 is the new workaround. And it's just like, here you go. Like people are doing um, like those uh, Ziploc, those like heavy duty, super duper Ziploc bags, you know, like the way where you get your weeds, you know whatever the child oh yeah like the yeah 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 Yeah. like child and brook proof where i'm like i can't get to my weed um but like really really smart beautiful packaging so that you can actually take everything home as fresh as possible like you're saying and be your own mixologist yeah minus the hipster with the suspenders yeah, and these guys in Detroit, uh, and then again, they'll all just say the long room because I love them so much. Go to the long room and buy cocktails if you're listening in Chicago. I'm just going to yes. say that right now. Um, packaging in glass with really fun labels. So everything looks super fancy. So again, you have this elevated experience. Um, and they're both doing boozy popsicles for the summertime. Yeah, that is so fun. A real life hack, you know, when you've run out of ice, uh, but you've still got some tequila and the pain isn't gone yet, you know what I'm saying? You can take a delicious, hopefully fruit-forward popsicle, even take a part of it, boom, just drop it in a shot of tequila. Oh my God, it's you just like swirl it, let it melt, and I love before it. you know it, you've got a slushy little boozy drink. Or if you happen to be in a place where you're in walking distance to any of these awesome bars, take a walk two blocks to get a to-go boozy popsicle and fucking eat it on the way home. Yum. That's what I think would be a summertime treat. Another fun one, guys, while we're talking booze workarounds, this is a courtesy of our good pal, Aaliyah James, friend, guest of the podcast. Uh, she freezes the bladder of like a big like wine you know like a rosé or a franzia and you take it to the beach and you use it to cool as your cooling block for any other food and items that you have in your cooler and then after about an hour you've got wine slushy that you can just drink right out of the bag <laughs> just capri sun that with a big giant straw and you're good to go yeah <laughs> awesome All right. Well, I've got another headline here. This one, this one uh, like straddles the line. Uh, where is it COVID content? Is it a headline? Is it just 
is it just life, you know, uh-huh. happening right now? So this is uh, this occurred at a restaurant called Mockingbird in Nashville, Tennessee. I think it's a popular hip neighborhood called like the Gulch. Have you guys? I've never been to uh, Nashville as as an adult. When it's safe, because of course, you know, COVID numbers are skyrocketing right now everywhere. Anywho, uh, okay, I'm surprised. It's already August and we have made no mention of bachelorette parties because (laughs) their power has been stripped of them for the most part. You know, it's been a summer of like, I guess we'll just have to be a bunch of assholes in someone's backyard. Um, But people are absolutely getting together in restaurants. And as we know, the dance, the struggle is very real for restaurants to comply so that they can be open, keep their staff safe and keep you, the customer, safe. And time and time again, we're seeing it's the customers who keep ruining this very fragile ecosystem. And here's an example right here in front of our face. A 10-person bachelorette party came in to have their meal together and the rule for spacing was it was going to be two six tops with five at each because that's just the the number the limit capacity for how many people they can have at a table and immediately the women pushed all the tables together just flew in the face of the rules of the restaurant and gave the server so much guff so basically you know a manager came up to try and enforce this rule where it's like you guys have to space it's just how we're keeping our business doors open and they're like meh 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 you're about to lose 10 paying customers and you know and of course he's like well that's the risk we have to take can't Mm -hmm. lose our license um get a citation etc etc have to keep everyone else in the restaurant feeling safe because like that's the other thing to consider is like not everyone who goes out to a restaurant restaurant right now is a flaming asshole um there are other people who are probably like what the fuck's happening over there like just flying in the face of the rules so anyways as you can imagine the entitlement that these bachelorette girls were just marinating in they coughed of course which is the Karen move. They coughed in the manager's face. Oddly enough, this manager's name was Mike Corona. Corona. Uh, Mikey Corona. <laughs> Mikey Corona. It's so confusing to read this article because I'm just I like, know. what? Like, <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot happening. But I mean, he stepped up immediately, you know, and people were just like, hell no, this is not OK. You are assaulting employees. Never come back. Like, I think they they filed information with the police department. This people, can we just can we it is I'm trying to think what this new version of coughing and gagging and spitting on people right now, specifically in coronavirus, when you can't get your way. I'm just trying to think of what used to be the go-to, you know, but now that like coughing is weaponized and privileged shitty people know this. I think just not tipping, like stiffing people was like, yes, which is that, still going to happen. Right. But I, I do think that's like a fuck you, man. I don't have to deal with this shit. Like, I also think I, in conjunction with a bride, I mean, that's a perfect storm. We have got to stop telling brides, you know, you always tell a bride, this is your day. Uh, this is, you know, because all they hear is I get my own little personal the purge for right. for a day. I'm going to 
I, I could murder some, I could murder. Um, the, my wedding is the most important thing in the entire world and it's just not, especially now. And another thing is you've got servers putting their damn pens in Barbicide, wearing masks, they're already freaked out, mm-hmm. walking into an establishment and not giving them any sort of respect um, in, in that regard is unfathomable to me but it's happening like all the time people just want to be unimpressed and rude yeah and nashville's been like open like i mean i think we read the story i did read a story like maybe a month ago of like bus tops full of bachelorette parties like partying through the nashville streets everybody unmasked 50 people on a bus like this shit's happening yeah. It's real. It's real. Yeah, and then you you throw in Bridezilla and you're about to get coughed on. All right, ready? Guys, yeah. Um we do have a little bit of COVID content. Oh, COVID content. This is amazing. All we're doing, this is like our housekeeping at top of show is just tattling at this point on all of the bad behavior going on everywhere. So this was sent to us by one of our listeners and fans. Here's a recent Yelp review that they received at their restaurant during a time of COVID. Michelle M. Two stars. Went for a birthday dinner, two of us. Sat at the table at the bar. Strawberry frozen rosé were so good. $13, a bit pricey for such a small glass. Bartender was very attentive. I got the fried chicken. Skin was little too burnt for my liking. He got the ribs, said weren't too fatty. Mac and cheese was delish. This woman is such an eloquent writer. The strawberry shortcake was so good. Would just go for that next time. The $2.95 kitchen appreciation charge was ridiculous, okay? We asked about it because we didn't see it on the menu, which it was in small print. The bartender said places in Boston are doing it. LOL, this is not Boston. After we read on the menu, you can opt out of that, which he didn't tell us that. There are too many other places I'd support. Didn't appreciate that charge. I felt like they don't appreciate you being back. They wouldn't charge that if they did. What about a customer appreciation discount? (laughs) Two stars. Two stars. stars. Yeah. Yeah. Our restaurant's been shuttered for four months. You deserve a customer appreciation discount totally. for coming right. back in and coughing on my right. manager. You can't. You're the brave one, lady, with your mouth full of strawberry shortcake. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> which was delish. You She'd go I- back just for that. I don't know like, about anymore. Uh, they had the audacity to have me appreciate those creatures in the back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brooke. Well, you know what time it is. And James, you know what time it is. It's I time, sure do. It's time for some server submitted, submitted stories. stories. 
Hey, y'all. I'm a new listener. I love the stories that I've heard so far on the pod. As an eight-year veteran of a very popular quick service restaurant, I've got a load of fun stories I'd love to share. As for the restaurant that I worked at, let's just call it Jesus Chicken. (laughs) I think y'all know the one I'm talking about. Don't worry. I was way too gay to stay working there any longer, and I escaped in 2016. (laughs) Well, my favorite story to tell happened when I was 18 and newly promoted to a shift leader in the drive-through portion of the restaurant. It was a busy Saturday afternoon in August, and we were getting our asses handed to us, both inside and at the drive-through. I happened to be expediting for that shift, so I was just running around, putting out fires in between orders. It was about one o'clock when a delightful woman rolls into our lane and orders eight large cups of ice cream. Now, at this point, I am tits deep in milkshake orders, and I'm running off a single barrel soft service machine. As you can imagine, it's not going well. I'd also like to point out that this is August in Georgia. So the temps outside are flirting with 100 degrees, and the humidity is high enough to tickle God's little piggies. (laughs) I I fucking love this guy. Seeing the milkshake station get absolutely destroyed, I tag out the poor, exhausted high schooler and take over myself. Just as I'm getting into the groove of whipped cream cans and blood red cherries, I see the dreaded order roll through. Eight large cups of ice cream. I say a little prayer to whomever is listening and start filling the cups with the slow churning ice cream. Now, I've mentioned before, it's summertime in Georgia. We're working in a building that was built in 1956. So let's just say the air conditioning in the drive through area where the ice cream machine is located is practically non-existent. Just to make that perfectly clear. I'm picturing this. I am feeling it. This guy can paint a picture. Uh, Old Bessie, that's the name of the ice cream machine, is doing her best to keep up as I pull <laughs> pull her udders, uh, the handle, over and over, trying to coax as much of the icy delight out as I can. The delightful woman, let's call her DW, gets to the window <laughs> gets to the window and pays for her ice cream and decides that she also wants us to include a bunch of toppings for said ice cream, but all on the side. Being the generous and eager to please new promo tea that I was, I oblige and ask her if she doesn't mind pulling up so I can finish her ice cream cups. She gives me a sour look but agrees to pull forward while we get everything together. A few minutes later, couldn't have been more than 10, I'm carrying two large bags and two drink holders out to the car to a very impatient DW. When I arrive, she tells me to wait there while she checks the bag, which I obliged and stand beside her Mercedes as it blasts me with heat straight from Satan's armpit. (laughs) Once she's checked the bag, she tells me, there isn't enough toppings. I need more. (laughs) Once again, I'm 18 and don't want to be fired, so I rush back inside to to make more of these obnoxious little cups of strawberry topping and chocolate syrup. Running back out to the car, I hand her the bag. DW proceeds to thrust the cups of ice cream back into my arms, stating, without a hint of mirth on her face, the ice cream melted. 
The ice cream melted. The ice cream melted. Let me refresh everyone's memory. We're in a parking lot in the middle of August in Georgia. It's the afternoon, reaching the hottest part of the day. The ice cream that we sell is soft serve, so it comes out practically half half melted to begin with. I muster... I muster a smile and apologize to DW and tell her I'd be happy to remake the ice cream cups for her. She tells me to hurry it up and I go back inside carrying almost a gallon of ice cream. (laughs) The manager on shift sees the hatred burning behind my eyes, but he just steps out of the way as I grab old Bessie's udders and mutter under my breath until I have eight brand new cups of ice cream. As I'm taking these freshly made cups back outside for the second time, DW once again tells me to stand there while she checks the ice cream. She yanks off a lid, then shoves the cup in my face saying, it's melted already, to which I can't help but respond, yes, ma'am, it's ice cream. Ice cream melts. (laughs) Something I never expected to have to explain to a grown ass person. DW demands that I make them again, and I tell her, okay, I'm going to make each ice cream cup one at a time. I'm going to place them in our freezer after completing each one so that they stay as cold as possible, but I will not remake them a fourth time. (laughs) Oh, my God! (laughs) Fool me three times. (laughs) She huffs at me, but acquiesced. 20 minutes later, our freezer was in the back of the store, so it was a lot of walking. I take out the final round of ice cream that really isn't any stiffer than the rest of them have been. DW gives me a half-assed thank you, to which the she then added, You made me late for my meeting. <laughs> and you made me late for my meeting. And then she peels out of the drive-thru. I took a moment to ponder my life choices, then decided it was too damn hot and headed back inside. So there's my favorite story to tell you about the frustrating of serving people. Hope it made you both smile. I'm loving the show. Keep up the good work. Love, Alex. P.S. To this day, I can't look at a cup of ice cream without thinking about that woman that I had to explain physics to in the drive-thru. <laughs> God, we fucking committed and worked so hard, Alex. That's amazing. Alex, truly. Alex, you would be an asset to any staff. Um, and what, I mean, that's like trial by fire. You gotta, you know, one of your, you're just beginning in the service industry and you're taking a Herculean amount of shit. You, you jumped right into it. Way to go, bud. I, I hope, I hope you were nominated as employee of the month at Jesus Chicken. All right, guys, next story. This one, my last shift. Walk up to two guys. Hi, can I get you started with something to drink? One guy does the infamous up and down look of my body and says, someone's looking at me in reference to a tattoo of an eye on my leg. I didn't respond because I was already annoyed at the look. I asked again for the drink order and was inevitably now in a battle with this guy because I didn't respond to his advances. Great. Then I'm on break and suddenly my manager is at the table because they were complaining I didn't want to be there and I was rude. They got free ice cream. Ice cream. And I got a 10% tip because I, as a woman, didn't respond to them how they wanted I understand it's a tattoo on my leg, but any comment on a person's appearance following the look is fucking ridiculous. Among other comments, I made sure they thought I didn't hear. My service wasn't poor just because I didn't flirt back. It was the exact same as it was to the female nurse next to them. My job was to take the order, put it in, and bring it back. 
And if they want to tip someone for flirting with them, hire an escort. The idea that we as women, and men too, have to play into that giddy, flattered girl as industry people or get a complaint is something I'm so over. I had a final thought that I'm not made for this industry anymore, but how backward is that? I don't need a change of industry. The industry needs to change. So long. Okay, bye. <laughs> Katie Marie. Fuck. <laughs> this is happening like now that this 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 toxic bullshit and assholes are still fucking coming out to eat and being like, um, the flirt with you and make you feel uncomfortable and awkward. And then obviously you're fucking cunt or fucking dyke. Right. Or whatever, right. you know. You're you're like, I'm a food bringer. I'm sorry that it's summer outside and we wear shorts and I happen to have a tattoo. That is like, I mean, that's just a horrible thing about being a tattooed woman is people do think that they get to grab, touch, poke, point at any of your tattoos and that you have to answer every question about it. And then you're like masked at the same time. I know. You're fucking, you know, it's, I hate all of this. It's disgusting. For the gentleman out there, Occasionally, you're going to run into an attractive woman in the wild. And here's here's what I would do. <laughs> I would treat them like a living, breathing human being. And then when they leave the table, whisper to your friend, I think our server is attractive. And then don't ever mention it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about as much as it needs to happen, you know? Or right. you, you don't even need to tell your friend. Or you don't even need to mention it. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like... Sure. That's the appropriate way. Or maybe you just need to have, like, headphones on, and then when you see an attractive woman to get it out, you play, like, um, Tim Allen, like... (laughs) Noises in your your ears. Um, Or you just uh, never go out to eat. uh, And, yeah, don't talk to human beings if you can't treat human beings like human beings. The end! Get out of here. All right. Well, guys, thank you as always for sending us your server submitted stories. We've got a nice little batch coming up that we're super excited to read. And uh, if you want to send us a funny story about demons ordering four rounds of ice cream and such, uh, they can also be happy. (laughs) They can anything you want, anything that comes to mind about the service industry, send it our way. Andrea, where should they send it? Uh, they can DM us just at the old Sidework uh, Instagram handle, or they can email us at SidewerkPod at gmail.com. All right, guys, diving back in today's topic, we're continuing our talks on cocktail culture, the history of. This is so fun. Um, last week, and I, we got really good feedback, you guys. People are like, this was very educational. I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Andrea, you've been doing really great research. It's and been fun. It, there's so much. And it all ties together in just all of these strange ways where you're like, I'm starting to see the entire matrix of like society and culture and all the present day stuff we're still dealing with. And it's like, we don't learn. We no. repeat so many mistakes culturally. We really do. We really do. The history um, of cocktails is the history of America. <laughs> it is. It really um, so is. So the last episode, so we basically ended um, at the end of Prohibition, which is also we're kind of coming out of the Great Depression at the same time. So shit's bleak. <laughs> like everything's pretty depressing. Um, and every, you know, everything's got like that 
dirty industrial feel like the roaring 20s are over bars are super divey and they're like neighborhood joints think of like you know the the factory whistle blows and then like men walk across the street to the watering hole you know and that's pretty much it and also we're at this point where like women aren't really welcome anymore like they were right so then prohibition's lifted which is so backwards where it's like all right ladies get back inside you know and now we go into an era where we're entering World War Two, and all mm-hmm. the boys are headed, a, you know, across the pond, as they say. And to keep basically the economy and America from collapsing in general, that's where you get a lot of Rosie the Riveter imagery and women taking up factory jobs, doing double duty, raising families, but also adopting roles that men had in the workforce and hence keeping your bars alive women stepped into the spotlight as barmaids turns out women were pretty fucking good at it surprise surprise like we are we've got smaller hands we can really get in there and do more intricate work (laughs) (laughs) i also love the name which is bessie the bartender and you've got rosie the river and they've got bessie the bartender i feel like i've heard more and more podcasts starting to cite their sources a little bit so i'll cover my ass and say that this is from a website called vinepair.com um and the book that a lot of their sources come from is uh called america walks into a bar all right so basically after the bombing of pearl harbor and this is specifically um talking about this era with women coming into the bartending force it's like we switched roles and now we're standing behind that mahogany bar you know what i'm saying so but women had to have uh just a few different norms added to it for them i think in overall for their safety is what this sounded like for instance women do not work past midnight which seems fair especially if you've got a family that you need Mm -hmm. to keep track of and women did not ever give out their last names drunken men sitting at the bar looking at what is to them a unicorn a lady bartender definitely falling in love give me a break am i right you know Mm -hmm. and just for their safety either like fake names or would not give out last names to protect themselves but um brooklyn alone in this era by the end of the 1940s uh had over a hundred barmaids working in 75 different bars and I love this line from this article. It says their positions ranging from down down and dirty whiskey slingers and grog hawkers to refined restaurant sommeliers. Now we need a t-shirt that says grog hawker. I, I will I want to wear that. What I think is really cool about Brooklyn is that they uh, unionized. There was a Barmaid's yes. Local 101 in anticipation because like as the... Um, war was already happening like in in Europe you know when Poland got taken Mm -hmm. over like there's basically like everybody in the states like knew it was going to happen they were just it was just a matter of like when we were going to join uh, in the fight of World War II so 39 is when these barmaids uh, founded this union and the war itself didn't start until 41 so they were fucking they were were ready to pounce which is rad yeah I love this too. And, but I mean, there's just so much misogyny and discrimination against women with men. You know, the idea of a woman bartender mixing them a drink. Um, this publication called the Troy Record, a man once wrote, Who wants the hand that rocks the cradle mixing whiskey sours? First of all, that's not a hard drink to make. Yeah, it's really not. Right, exactly. <laughs> But I just don't want mixing it. I love a I love a female touch. It makes everything taste better in my Absolutely. opinion. Absolutely. What point were people like, wait, 
I get drunk no matter who makes this drink. <laughs> I, I don't care anymore. Fuck, I'm drunk. Well, and the shitty thing of it all, too, is like once the war is over, right. everybody comes back and they're like, get out of here, lady. I want my job back. Yeah, right. you, uh, you built tanks. You made drinks. Now it's time to stop all that. Instead of being like, hey, you did a really good job helping. Let's all work together. Right. Like all these fucking men, like they made laws to make it illegal for women to do this job. Right, right. So it wasn't even enough that they came in and and like physically forced. It was just like, well, probably turns out that the bar was more organized, cleaner, and less toxic of a work environment with ladies in charge. And they're like, whoa, 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 can't have that. Basically, the men all heroically returned from overseas expecting to find both their jobs and their wives exactly as they left them. That makes my blood boil you know it just it feeds into this idea that a woman's place is in the kitchen only mm-hmm. when women kept this country from economics economic and societal collapse absolutely so, yeah but the the women complied and left but a lot of them um really fought back but then i'm guessing some small dick weirdo in the supreme court smacked down their motion to you know be allowed to work in bars if your husband was the bar proprietor or if like and this is like back in like the 1700s this is how old school this line of thought is when it's like women can only be a barmaid if their father was the innkeeper you know like where a man had to be related to you and in charge and the owner and that's the only way you could be in there it's so sad that there was just like a culture among men, a cultural perception that women couldn't. I think the thinking had to have been women can't take pride in work, women outside of the home. Like it, it can't give them joy the same way being a mother and a homemaker is. Like that's the way we're going to live our patriarchal lives. That is the narrow viewpoint we have in which to legislate and live. It's so bizarre. And how heartbreaking for those women who had sort of a revelation of their own to be like, I love working. I love making things. I love this freedom only to have it all crashing down when the war is over. Yeah, and any sort of fight, like any fucking horrible man's defense is like, hysteria emotionally not uh, or temperamentally unfit for the job because women are crazy like right. this was the defense and and meanwhile men are drunk babies and it's like guess who is equipped to take care of a, a child a woman i mean like and especially when you realize so much of homekeeping and and multitasking and looking after children that is not easy work and it translates to what being a restaurant industry is exactly it is (laughs) so what's crazy is we've said this before on the podcast is that it was not legal for women to bartend until the 1970s yep it was a Supreme Court decision, finally barred workforce discrimination. Was it Supreme ca- Court across or was it by state? It had to have been by state because right. other states were slower to let women behind the bar. Right. But this is, and this is, again, God, men, you are just so smart and wonderful. Of course, uh, basically owners of Holiday Inns realized in the 80s that bar tabs skyrocket in the presence of of a good-looking lady mixologist. 
And then now men have another reason to it. It's it's like we had like this golden moment for for just like a hot second before they're like, we need to make a place called Hooters, you know. So that's that's a crazy part of this history. But we'll kind of we'll kind of, you know, reel it back to that like 1940s era from there. I found a fun story uh, specifically regarding to World War Two and and booze and drinks and how alcohol was partially responsible for keeping Erwin uh, Rommel and his desert Nazis out of Cairo. The desert fox himself. <laughs> the desert fox. You know, around that time, you got a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, servicemen on the English side who are in the desert in in Africa near Egypt and you know there's not a times are tough there's not a whole lot of alcohol to be drank so they're all sort of drinking this bare bones sort of like not great quality alcohol um and Cairo at the time is a very vibrant uh city there's um there's a hotel there called the Shepherd's Hotel in Cairo which has a bartender, and I hope I'm saying his name right. His name is Joe Shalom. Um, he is a Egyptian Jewish Italian bartender nice. um, working at that hotel, and he came up with a drink called the Suffering Bastard. Oh yeah, I've had one of those. <laughs> I believe I've had one too. Um, it's for those of you who don't know, it's equal parts bourbon and gin a dash of bitters and ginger beer. So it's kind of just a light, refreshing drink. But the GIs and the men uh, fighting on the English side in Cairo were noticing that their hangovers were just incredible because of this low-quality alcohol that they were drinking. And this drink, The Suffering Bastard, actually was a lot easier on them uh, and their uh, hangovers seemed to be less when they were drinking this particular concoction. So... Some of the generals on the front lines uh, for the English troops actually had him make like barrels of it to bring up to the front lines. Um, it said like they bring up, they'd fill up whatever they had, like gas canisters. Well, obviously, <laughs> obvi- I'm, I'm like, I'm like, talk about batch cocktails. This is barrel cocktails. Oh yeah, for sure. Ex- exactly. So they'd send those to the front lines, and they noticed the the Germans were drinking just as hard, but they were still drinking that shitty stuff. So they would get up in the morning with huge, terrible hangovers, and the Englishmen would get up, you know, as fresh as a daisy. And were capable of pushing uh, Rommel all the way back to Tunisia. Now, I'm sure it wasn't just the drinks alone. <laughs> they, al- they also had machine guns and airplanes and stuff. But um, I would much rather, uh, you know, fight in the trenches without a hangover than with one. Um, so, yeah. That, that, just- that famous bartender defeated the Nazis, basically, is what you're saying. Pretty much. Pretty Joe, much. Joe Shalom. Sholom. 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 Not to mention, a lot of these soldiers were drinking anything they could get their hands on. Right. Like, there's, there's like, dry ships where, like, they're drinking torpedo fuel and mixing it with pineapple juice. Like, this is real, you know? Yeah, my great-grandmother's favorite drink was a, a glass of lamp oil with a twist of uh, twist of lime in it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, last, last episode, and I, I think it's just because I was talking about this 
I think maybe just with Kyle and Andrea, like maybe a year ago, but um, my grandmother actually had dandelion wine, da- like bootlegged homemade dandelion wine down in the basement that she'd had for like 30 years. And this was the 60s at that point, or maybe the early 70s. And my dad and his friend got into one of the one of the jars and his friend couldn't see for a few hours. He oh, lost that's his real. Sight. It's real. Oh. I love all these stories. I just fucking love this time. Um so along the same lines and like kind of getting into like a little bit more with tiki bars now you guys. Um tiki bars, I don't know if you knew, like actually started during prohibition and more toward uh the end of it during the Great Depression. Um, And also at the same time, like a lot of distillers produced industrial alcohol for the war effort when we're going into World War II. So whiskey kind of stopped being made and or it was rationed. Um, And this led to the increase in popularity in rum from the nearby Caribbean islands, um, which we already knew was like really big with like Cuba and Havana and everything like really fun and exotic there. Um, and then you've got like really fun cocktails like rum and coke, you know, are very, very popular at this I, time. I got to say rum drunk is something I haven't done in a little bit. And it's, I, I, it's, it's a, a weird one. It's a different brook. It's a whole <laughs> different brook. Rum drunk, for, rum drunk for me is a guaranteed sunburn. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so tiki bars. So l- I'm going to talk about um, the, like there's so many tiki bars out there and there's so much history. But I want to talk about um Specifically, the, like, the two main uh, founders, which the first one's going to be Don Beach, who mm-hmm. his real name is Ernest Raymond Beaumont Gant. <laughs> and he is he's Don the Beachcomber, which we all have okay. heard of. Um, and he is often called the founding father of Tiki. He was a bootlegger and he spent many of his young years in the South Pacific. And this was really inspiring for him. So by the time he returned to the States in 1934, he brought this vast knowledge of exotic landscapes of bamboo and pineapples and this Polynesian mythology. Um, and most importantly, he brought rum back with him. So in 1934, he opened up a bar in Los Angeles called what else? Don the Beachcomber. And that's kind of where Tiki movement started. Um, so he's generally credited with establishing like this entire Tiki drink genre, um, like the Cobra Fang, Tahitian Rum Punch, Three Dots in a Dash, the Navy Grog, um, and the Zombie was pretty much his, which quickly grew to popularity and then was fucking copied by this guy named Monty Procer at... Um, the 1939 World's Fair in New York. And he's the guy that went on to own the Copacabana. So, like, the fad is very much, like, catching fire. Um, but what's really cool is we've got this guy, Vic, right? So, Trader Vic's. We've all heard of Trader yep, Vic's, right? Yep. That's also another big one. Around the same time, in 1934, he opens a place in Oakland, Um, And he is a bartender who fled and went to Cuba during Prohibition. Right. And we all know that people were like going there and working. Um, So he had all of this vast, deep knowledge of rum from the Caribbean, but all around the world. So basically he transformed this bar, which was called Hinky Dinks at the time. I love that name. (laughs) Um, into a tiki bedeck tropical retreat, um, which he then called Trader Vicks. 
And then he put into his practice uh, his knowledge on rums. And then he started like making his own cocktails at the same time. And he also uh, was credited with popularizing the drink umbrella, which basically was like to keep your drink cold and your ice to not melt on a warm day. Oh my God, it's not just garnish. It was actually functional, right? It's a little, um, pa- it's a little parasol for your booze. So what I love about this, like the tiki drinks and when they started is this is like straight escapism. Like it's the Great Depression, you guys. Like shit is tough right now. So like these guys basically, they're like, how do we like invite people in to kind of slow down and basically like how do like it's like sunshine or a vacation in a glass like that's what they're giving people well and just think like all these like fresh juices and again liquor because like rum is actually on its own dark rum is a little sweet delicious very sweet yeah cane sugar um and to just be like what is this this is delightful and i'm getting he 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 hammered it kind of reminds me of like in the time it's like wasn't is there a scene in annie where annie has like a milkshake or a fucking shirley temple or something she has something sweet or think about like an orphan during the great depression being like he has a coca-cola kid and you that look like for the first time when it like hits your lips like i think that's what these kind of places were offering people at the time so these are open, they're running, and then World War II comes. Um, so Don goes to war, um, everybody goes to war, but where you have like Vic and Don who have this like, they've already seen the world and they've seen the tropics, you have hundreds of thousands of soldiers and people enlisted in the war and serving, seeing all these exotic Polynesia, Oceania, right. Hawaiian, exactly. Um, so then when they all get home, these guys all want a slice of that like exotic world. And that's when the tiki craze really takes hold and roots itself into American culture. And people do say that like tiki culture is like pretty much American. Right. It's it's Americans like a love letter to a hard time in their lives and dealt with by booze, you know, but in such a fun way. But I just love like you're picturing, you know, like these World War II vets, like like wearing like their um like their army hat, but maybe just a tank top and a and a um a lay. And I mean, oh my God, that sounds Oh, it's so very sexy. South Pacific. It's very Bloody it. Mary. Uh, you like it's very much like that. But <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But the the imagery of it gives oh, me yeah. romantic feels. Also, I was in the high school production of South Pacific. Oh, really? Awesome. You were yeah, gonna I mean, wash I, that boy right out of right your out hair. Right out of my hair, yep. So post uh, war, this is also like Eisenhower's America. It's like this big, big work ethic is where everybody's just like work, work, work all the time. Baby booming. Everything's cookie cutter. Um, But this, again, was a way to slow down all these tiki bars. And now because it's like tiki's influencing fucking like fashion, uh, home decor. It's like, you know, palm fronds, fishnets, seashells, skulls. Like Like everyone's man cave was Mm -hmm. basically like, honey, I blew our savings on making a tiki bar in the basement. Yeah, your grandpa's tiki bar in the basement for sure. It's also the the beginning of, yeah, well, what you're saying, like themed parties and like 
the bar, the fun bar to unwind inside the house, like the wet bar with the the little fit, the little tiki masks all around it. Yeah, it becomes a part of the culture and the American dream. Just setting the entire scene and the mood of drinking like that too when you've got exotica music lounge polynesian you know uh actual like like tiki like a tiki mix you know oh yeah for sure and this is a show everybody wants so it gets fucking franchised like trader vicks and D- don the beachcomber both become franchises and they start opening up all across the country so everybody gets a piece of it also, let's like talk about like the fucking uniforms. We've all been to tiki bars before, like, you know, even modern ones. It's just like the classic tropical shirt. But, you know, those waitresses are wearing fucking coconut shells to work every day in grass skirts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I think some places have certainly been like, all right, uh, we're going to update terms for the dress code and uh, you can put on a T-shirt. honey. Oh, yeah. But can you imagine like a lot of these women back in the day who would have to basically wear like bikini tops and a grass skirt and then like all the sugar and shit that would get like <laughs> on that grass skirt at the same time? The folks, the men and women that work at tiki bars are fascinating like they are every drink has about like six or seven ingredients they're often swamped because I, I it's just because they're often popular places to be a bartender uh or a, a server even at a tiki bar place is got to be one you have to be you have like to be zen one. you have to be like buddha in your head that's what i think or yeah. happy buddha you know the drink <laughs> smart as a whip yeah and but then to do all that in like some costume right <laughs> not to mention some of these drinks are on fire do you on think there fire? were some grass grass skirts going up in flames like back in oh, the I'm, day I'm or sure. like the the roof covering of the bar you worked under you know it, oh. it was it's on fire save the blue curacao <laughs> are a lot to work with like so so much fruit prepping so um these things are franchised like everybody starts making money off of it but like here's the thing the bigger something gets the more diluted it gets right so like the purity of these drinks which back in the day Vic and Don like it's equal parts like sugar sour rum and water like those are like the main ingredients of a tiki drink plus spices are super important like cinnamon um like anything that makes it like gives it that really exotic feel but as things get bigger and we start moving into like the 50s and 60s where everything comes out of a fucking can you know and is pre-made and full of sugar the same thing happens with these drinks so we're using like Mm. shitty canned ingredients and it changes everything with the drinks i'm just i'm just picturing my parents bar that was downstairs in the basement in a corner because they didn't drink when I grew up now they're drunks but um they had stuff that they hadn't touched since the 1970s and even the 60s but like powdered mint grasshopper mix Whoa. you know and like in a in a, I just remember always being like why would anyone drink that and why is it a grasshopper <laughs> like I just couldn't understand what was going on there but we, we looked, used to have we used yeah. to have a drink called the asbestos and it, <laughs> yeah it was, de- it, was deli- it, it was delicious we have the best asbestos in town we're known for the, it can, hey. can i make can i make you a lead teeny 
But like James, <laughs> like you were talking about before is like the people that work at the tiki bars, like it's a fucking art form and like you wait, you know, that's how things are now. But in the 60s and 70s when everything was just like now, now, now mixed, easy, 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 like all this fell apart and then it became this like game of telephone because like everybody kept their recipes super secret too. So it'd be like, you want me to make you what? Uh, hold on, let me let me get on the let me get on the horn and ask this guy. People didn't talk like that in the sixties, but you know what I mean. Someone <laughs> they're did. like, hey man, hold on there. That's how people talked in the sixties. Groovy brother. Hey yeah, man, this Charles Manson guy's got something to say. <laughs> but then again, <laughs> everything became syrupy and gross and fucking and and but not anymore. Not anymore, you guys. Because all the good stuff is back, which is I'm I couldn't be happier about. Everything kind of slowed down, like in the sixties and seventies, also with with tiki movement because like Vietnam happened and people are like, oh, maybe we shouldn't have like a, a glass of like a naked native girl when people are like really like really terrible things are happening in Vietnam. So everything kind of became and everybody was also just doing LSD Drugs. instead of I was, yeah, I was yeah. Say, total <laughs> drug culture. Yeah, is yeah. Yeah, but uh, there was a repopularization of tiki in the 80s, which I think because people like it, you know, it was like a little more hip to have cocktails, uh, the yuppies slash and also you're like very much um, retro lovers. I think of like the B-52s like being really into like tiki culture. And 80s, Uh, the 80s was just like it was booming and it was a decade of excess you know? Oh, yeah. So it'd absolutely. Be like, like, how much cocaine do you want with your tiki drinks? Right. I mean, I'm not saying the quality of the drinks was like great then either. I don't really think we saw that until the huge like part two of the golden age of cocktails, which is pretty much what we're in now. In the 80s, I wonder if anybody had a lump of cocaine with a little umbrella in it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be really fun to kind of wrap up today. Like, let's talk about our favorite tiki bars. Does anybody, James, do you have one? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Omaha can be a bit of a cultural desert sometimes. <laughs> it's it's certainly changed over the years. But there was, uh, in fact, this is where I, not where I had my first drink. In fact, I think I had my first drink when I was nine. But um, where I had my first uh, tiki drink ever um, was this place called the Mount Fuji Inn in Omaha, Nebraska. It was like on 84th and Blondo. Yeah. It has since closed down and it was sort of like a Omaha rite of passage place. You know, everybody's like, oh man, when you get old enough, you got to go here and have a drink. And they made fantastic cocktails. The first one that I ever had was uh, the Navy Grog, which isn't one of my favorite tiki drinks. I guess it depends on where you get it, but I got it because... They it was um, a beautiful drink in like a fancy sort of cup that had like a little rise in the middle of it, so you could set. They would uh, fill these leaves with um, alcohol and then light the alcohol on fire, and then they put the little flaming alcohol leaf on the outside, and it would kind of go around like a little boat. Whoa! Um, it, it was really cool, and from th- that was like I really do love like a moat. It was like a moat for your it glass. Was like a li- yeah, it was like a little moat. So like it was a glass, but like and it was curved, like let's say a chalice. But the middle of it 
rose up. So cool. yeah, so it was like a little yeah, I guess a little moat. It looked like there was a little volcano in the middle, but it was flat. Anyway, um, and it, I was like, this is gorgeous and it's good and this is so everybody's having fun. It's sugary. Um, tiki bars are really like if you get into a bar fight in a tiki bar, you're a real prick, you know, yeah. because like it is hard to have a bad time in a tiki bar. I mean, trust me, I'm sure people have, but the feeling's always lighter than a regular bar. Totally. And, this, and, and the this, rules are kind of different, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yes. My favorite thing about Mount Fujian, because I, that was my, that was baby's first tiki for me Aww. too, um, is you would go and it was the shittiest, diviest place. Like the, you would go in there, you had to be sat to, you had to have a server, you couldn't just go to the bar. And then the bathroom had a huge gaping hole in the wall in the female <laughs> In the women's restroom, I remember. But to this day, still the best chichi I've ever had, which is a uh, chichi is um it is a pina colada made with vodka instead of rum, if you guys didn't know that. It's fucking delicious. Brooke, what's your faves one? Well, I mean, I, okay, so this is technically just a Hawaiian bar, but going That's to Tahi- Tahiti Nui when we were in Kauai. Oh my god, yes. Right. My ties. Oh, my ties all day long um i mean my mom does not really drink mixed drinks and she was like these are delicious (laughs) (laughs) and once again had to roll kathleen van poplin home but um i yeah the mai tais at tahiti nui in Kauai, it was just such an unbelievable destination because you are driving down from the higher portion of of uh, the north side of the island down into Hanalei Bay, and it is actually where they shot scenes Jurassic from Jurassic Park. Park. <laughs> so it's just like the most amazing sort of quest to get to this cute, unassuming little bar, and I loved it because it's very indoor, outdoor. The live um, hula dancing and traditional island dance and singing, it's like it all starts at 5 p.m. and goes all night. And I i mean, if you've never really seen true hula, it, it, it's so beautiful. All it does is just praise the earth, the sky, the moon, the ocean, and all. The, I don't know. It made, it made me cry. It made me very, it's like such a connected form of dance. I love it. And then and my other favorite would be Bad Decisions. Oh, in, fuck. In Baltimore, Maryland. Yeah, Bad Decisions is amazing, which is like crazy cocktail tiki bar. Like, James, this place is... We went and we thought it was just a weird dive bar, and then we noticed they had a handwritten ledger behind the bar, and you could, like, rifle through it, and you could, like, pick what drink you wanted. And oh, it wow. was it was a Bible of tiki drinks that multiple bartenders over the years and even customers had left behind. And we got something that had tang in it. Zombie, it was, a zombie in space. So a zombie in of, space. They yeah. made it with tang instead oh. of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's, yeah, it was that's, that, that place sounds like, and that sounds like if you're a local, you can just go by, go back every day and get something new and never drink Absolutely. it all. Um, oh, man. I know my my favorites. There's so many to choose from, from like old to modern. Like the Tonga Hut here in LA, one of the oldest tiki bars is so cool. Um, Chicago has Lost Lake and Three Dots in the Dash, which are fucking awesome. Like all the yeah, Paul McGee bars. But my recent favorite is the Golden Tiki in Las Vegas, uh, which uh. I went to last year, and it's one of the most beautiful 
well curated manicured there's fucking fountains there's shrunken heads everywhere there's a shit there's a there's an oyster shell you can sit in and be a pearl you go in the bathrooms and it's like like naked men with palm fronds everywhere with like big brass dicks on the like handles of the bathroom stalls like it is and then you've you can, got you, my attention yeah and obviously you can gamble <laughs> in the bar i mean i've just never been more impressed by a tiki bar before the drinks are beautiful i want to go so bad right now oh, wait God. so you're telling you're telling me they did something to excess in las vegas yeah hang on <laughs> hold I'm on not, i'm not buying no that that place sounds like a dream i mean that sounds like a destination. A like reason. they have a little vestibule when you walk in that's like totally pitch black, but with like red skulls and red light. And they're playing the like, uh, da 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 da, like, uh, hey, you guys, part of the Goonies, like when you walk in. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening to us like be nostalgic and like sad and talk about our favorite tiki bars. But I mean, I think what we can take away from all of this, you guys, is that like the form of escapism and like slowing down that this type of culture provides. If you have the time to support a local bar and get a fancy cocktail that's tiki or make your own at home, fucking take a minute, chill, enjoy a fancy drink and think of like better days when we're all going to be chilling on the beach, hanging on an island, like whatever we can do, you know? Mm-hmm. I know. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a run up to what will be our third episode bringing us to more current times and the yeah. awesome, you know, current uh incarnation of people loving the shit out of cocktail culture and mixology. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you guys want to like just have a drunken Zoom call after this, or I need to eat something? <laughs> but I was having some pineapple for breakfast. So oh, already, that's pretty close. I've already got a taste for it. Um, yeah, soak up that. Uh, yeah, there's something for the rum to soak up. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me uh, go. Let me go grab my ice chipper, <laughs> and I'll be ready. Quit talking about your wife like that. Hey, <laughs> that old ice chipper. <laughs> Uh, okay, you guys. Well, that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Again, if you guys have any stories to submit, uh, send them our way, those submitted stories. Uh, also, if you've ever worked in a tiki bar, uh, please hit us up. Be really fun to hear from you. And uh, if you want to submit a story or anything that comes to mind about working in a tiki bar, email us. Yeah. Great. James, thank you again. Uh, ladies, thank you so much for having me. It's my God. Are, are you going to come back for the next one? Yeah, are you going to you're gonna ride through this wave, man? I think the fans would hate it if I wasn't there. <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right. Well, until next time, uh, Brooke, you know what we say at the end of every episode. That's uh, right. Godspeed. Godspeed. And good tips. Good tips and good health. Good fight. Thanks, you guys. Have a great week. See ya. Thank you.